0: So no one told you life was gonna be this way.
1: <laughs> clap 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 Cha cha <laughs> cha cha
0: Your job's a joke, you're broke.
1: You love life, away. Oh don't torture our listeners with your with your tunes smithing. Right, it
0: was just I was just recounting to Molly that at multiple like middle school, high school class graduations, I was forced to sing the friends theme as like a graduation song.
1: I'll be there for you. That's, I guess I understand. But the thing is, you're not going to be there for each other. You're going to abandon each other (laughs) as as soon as you all go to college. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will, will in fact, uh, (laughs) spoiler alert, I will not be there for you. (laughs) I will not be there for you. Get along on your own, little doggy.
0: Hello, this is Infinite Cast.
1: A podgest. Ha ha a pod. So <laughs> po- I Ste- stepped on your stepped on your line there, buddy.
0: Uh well, you know, it's not even my line to begin with. I've stolen it from a listener review.
1: Yeah, we need to if that was you, we need to give a proper credit. We should do end of show credits the way they do for like those NPR <laughs> produced ones. It's like music produced by blah blah blah, blah, blah blah blah. Additional reporting, thanks to blah blah. Where did that come from? Is that an
0: iTunes review?
1: iTunes review. I believe uh, it's an tweet, iTunes review. Something like that. Yeah, iTunes I- review. You're right. Yes. Um, but gas, anyway if that podcast. was you uh DM my DMs are open shout out we uh, already well, sent
0: gifts to all our listeners so.
1: <laughs> the listeners who who uh got in God that was so long minute. ago I'm I know remember. I know I had sorry, sh- shout out I uh s- someone uh, commented on my <laughs> Instagram and I I followed them back and then uh they were on private and then they DM would me and I said I guess uh I you sent me a bar of soap a year ago because I listened to your podcast, I guess you get face privilege. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, if you, if you once you put it that way, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) What a weird podcast.
0: What a weird thing that we're doing. Anyway, Wraith, 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 Wraith. 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 Needs, 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 needs. 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 Uh, Meet
1: um, those needs. Meet those needs. I've got
0: a bunch of stuff to say at the end of this. Somebody also dm me it was like ah now you know the true like as as we started reading oh. the, the wraith section being like ah now you know the true meaning of this book and i'm like oh, I've, i haven't quite gotten there yet but you know i understand that this is uh important
1: it's all coming together it's all coming as it today. has been all the time and hasn't been
0: <laughs> it's, it's all happening more and more
1: more and more they they're saying but let's get into it all okay, right, great. Uh, so we're in the I'm middle actually, of a yes.
0: Uh, as you start reading, I'm going to go make a cup of coffee for myself. Oh, I would take one too. Okay, great. I'll make some coffees. Just project.
1: I'll try to. Okay, I'll <laughs> say it. With, I'll use my di- diaphragmatic. Um, but I'm listening in the background. I'm I'm listening. Uh, <laughs> so we're we're mid uh, wraith, and wraith is talking. <laughs> wraith is talking about his son. So okay. let's get into it. I'll just I'll backtrack a little bit. Okay. The Wraith blows its nose in a hanky that's visibly seen better epochs, and says he, the Wraith, when alive in the world of animate men, had seen his own personal youngest offspring, a son, the one most like him, the one most marvelous and frightening to him, becoming a figurant toward the end. His end, not the son's end, the Wraith clarifies. Gately wonders if it offends the Wraith when he sometimes refers to it mentally as it, it. The Wraith opens and examines the used hanky just like an alive person can never help but do and says no horror on earth or elsewhere could equal watching your own offspring open his mouth and have nothing come out. The Wraith says it mars the memory of the end of his animate life, this son's retreat to the periphery of life's frame. The Wraith confesses that he had at one time blamed the boy's mother for his silence. But what good does that kind of thing do, he said, making a blurred motion that might have been shrugging. Gately remembers the former Navy MP telling Gately's mother why it was her fault he lost his job at the chowder plant. (laughs) Resentment is the number one offender is another Boston AA cliche Gately had started to believe that blames a shell game. Not that he wouldn't mind a private couple of minutes alone in a doorless room with Randy Lenz once he was up and capable again, though. The Wraith reappears, slumped back in the chair with his weight on his tailbone and his legs crossed in that er ish upscale way. He says, just imagine the horror of spending your whole itinerant, lonely southwest and west coast boyhood trying unsuccessfully to convince your father that you even existed, to do something well enough to be heard and seen, but not so well that you become just a screen for his own, the dad's, projections of his own failure and self-loathing failing ever to be really seen, gesturing wildly through the distilled haze, so that in adulthood you still carried the moist, flabby weight of your failure ever to make him hear you really speak, carried it on through the animate years on your increasingly slumped shoulders, only to find, near the end, that your very own child had himself become blank, invent, silent, frightening, mute, i.e. that his son had become what he, the wraith, had feared as a child he, the Wraith, was. Gately's eyes roll up in his head. The boy who did everything well and with a natural unslumped grace the Wraith himself had always lacked, and whom the Wraith had been so terribly eager to see and hear and let him, the son, know he was seen and heard, the son had become a steadily more and more hidden boy toward the Wraith's life's end and no one else in the Wraith and Boy's nuclear family would see or acknowledge this, the fact that the graceful and marvelous Boy was disappearing right before their eyes. They looked but did not see his invisibility, and they listened but did not hear the Wraith's warning. Gately has that slight, tight, absent smile again. The Wraith says the nuclear family had believed he, the Wraith, was unstable and was confusing the Boy with his own, the Wraith's, boyhood self, or with the Wraith's father's father, the blank wooden man who, according to family mythology, had driven the Wraith's father to the bottle and unrealized potential and an early cerebral hemorrhage. Toward the end, he'd begun privately to fear that his son was experimenting with substances. The Wraith keeps having to push its glasses up, The Wraith says almost bitterly that when he'd stand up and wave his arms for them all to attend to the fact that his youngest and most promising son was disappearing, they thought all his agitation meant was that he had gone bats from wild turkey intake and needed to try to get sober again one more time. This this gets Gately's attention. Here at last could be some sort of point to the unpleasantness and confusion of the dream. You tried to get sober, he thinks, rolling his eyes over to the Wraith. More than once you tried? Was it white knuckle, which takes us to end note 343, Boston, a slogan meaning trying to quit addictive substance use without working any kind of recovery program. White, white knuckling it. Ooh, that looks good. Thanks. I'm back. He's back. Uh, back We're to the text. Did you ever surrender and come in? The wraith feels along his long jaw and says, "He spent the whole sober last ninety days of his animate life working tireless. tireless, This is very important. Working tirelessly to contrive a medium via which he and the muted son could simply converse, Mm. to concoct something the gifted boy couldn't simply master and move on from from to a new plateau, something the boy would love enough to induce him to open his mouth and come out, even if it was only to ask for more." Games hadn't done it. Professionals hadn't done it. Impersonation of professionals hadn't done it. We recall when he was the the, the conversationalist. Yeah, His last resort, entertainment, makes something so bloody compelling it would reverse thrust on a young self's fall into the womb of solipsism in Hedonia, death in life. A magically entertaining toy to dangle at the infant still somewhere alive in the boy to make its eyes light and toothless mouth open up unconsciously to laugh, to bring him out of himself, as they say.
0: What age was Hal when...
1: uh, When he died. When he died. 14 or 15. He's 17 now? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I think, a little over two years. Fact check. Uh, The womb could be used both ways. A way to say, I am so very, very sorry and have it heard. A lifelong dream. The scholars and foundations and disseminators never saw that his most serious wish was to entertain... Geatley's not too agonized and feverish not to recognize gross self-pity when he hears it, wraith <laughs> or no, as in the slogan, poor me, poor me, pour me a drink. <laughs> With all due respect, pretty hard to believe this wraith could stay sober if he needed to get sober. With the combination of abstraction and tragically misunderstood me attitude, he's betraying in the dream.
0: <laughs> I love doing AA mindset on a ghost on
1: a, do- on a ghost, and like he's saying all this stuff that we who have been uh, buckled in for eight hundred and thirty-nine pages are like, yes, yes. And Don Gately's just like, this guy's fucking boring. <laughs> and he's—I've heard this story before. He's a uh, He's a he's self pitying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Come, well,
0: yeah. Come back to me when you got some in actual introspection.
1: <laughs> uh, with all, yeah, sorry. He'd been sober as a Mennonite quilter for eighty nine days at the very tail end of his life. The wraith of airs now back up on the silent heart monitor. Though Boston AA had a humorless evangelical rabidity about it that had kept <laughs> his attendance at meetings spotty, and he never could stand the vapid cliches and disdain for abstraction. Not to mention the cigarette smoke. The atmosphere of the meeting rooms had been like a poker game in hell. Had been his impression. <laughs> the wraith stops and says, "He bet Gately's struggling to hide his curiosity about whether the wraith succeeded in coming up with a figure, figurantless entertainment so thoroughly engaging it'd make even an inbent figurant of a boy laugh and cry out for more." Father figure wise, Gately's tried his I best. Could be your father figure. figure. Gately's tried his best these last few sober months to fend off uninvited memories of his own grim conversations and interchanges with the MP. The Wraith on the monitor now bends sharply at the waist, way over forward, so his face is upside down, only centimeters from Gately's face. The Wraith's face is only about half the size of Gately's face and has no odor, and responds vehemently that, No, no! And he, uh, this is spelled almost the same as the uh, Naomi... um, uh, who who did the no-no for the bear no. wearing a mask? No, no. no. Na- Naomi Klein. Naomi Klein. <laughs> Any, conversa- wait. Any conversation or interchange is better than none at all. To trust him on this, that the worst kind of gut-wrenching intergenerational interface is better than withdrawal or hiddenness on either side. The Wraith apparently can't tell the difference between Gately just thinking to himself and Gately using his brain voice to sort of think at the Wraith. His shoulder suddenly sends up a flare of pain so sickening Gately's afraid he might shit the bed. The Wraith gasps and almost falls off the monitor as if he can totally empathize with the dextral flare. Gately wonders if the Wraith has to endure the same pain as Gately in order to hear his brain voice and have a conversation with him. Even in a dream, that'd be a higher price than anybody's ever paid to interface with D.W. Gately. Maybe the pain's supposed to lend credibility to some diseased argument for Demerol the Wraith's going to make. Gately feels somehow too self conscious or stupid to ask the Wraith if it's here on behalf of the higher power or maybe the disease. So instead of thinking at the Wraith, he simply concentrates on pretending to wonder to himself why the Wraith is spending probably months of aggregate Wraith time (laughs) flitting around a hospital room and making pirouetted demonstrations with crooner photos and foreign tonic cans on the ceiling of some drug addict he doesn't know from a rock instead of just quantuming over to wherever this alleged youngest son is and holding very still for Wraith months and trying to have an interface with the fucking son. Though maybe thinking he was seeing his late organic dad as a ghost or Wraith would drive the youngest son bats, though, might be the thing. The sun didn't exactly sound like the steadiest hand on the old mental joystick as it was from what the wraiths shared. Of course, this was assuming the mute figurant sun even existed. This was assuming this wasn't all some roundabout way of the disease starting to talk gately into succumbing to a shot of Demerol. He tries to concentrate on all of this instead of remembering what Demerol's warm rush of utter well-being felt like, remembering the comfortable sound of the clunk of his chin against his chest, (laughs) or instead of remembering any of his own interchanges with his mother's live-in retired MP. One of the highest prices of sobriety was not being able to keep from remembering things you didn't want to remember. See, for instance, Yule and the fraudulent grandiosity thing from his weenish childhood. <laughs> the ex had referred to small children and toddlers as rugrats. It was not a term of gruff affection. The MP had made the toddler Don Gately return empty Heineken bottles to the neighborhood packy and then haul haul ass on back with the bottle deposits, timing him with a USN-issue chronometer. He never laid a hand on Gately personally that Don could recall, but he'd still been afraid of the MP. The MP'd beaten his mother up on on an almost daily basis. The most hazardous times for Gately's mother was between eight Heinekens and ten Heinekens. When the MP threw her on the floor and knelt down very intently over her, picking his spots and hitting her very intently, he looked like a lobsterman pulling at his outboard's rope. The MP was slightly shorter than Mrs. Gately, but was broad and very muscular, and proud of his muscles, going shirtless whenever possible, or in like sleeveless khaki military tees. He had bars and weights and benches, and had taught the child Don Gately the fundamentals of free weight training, with special emphasis on control and form, as opposed to just sloppily lifting as much weight as possible. We've got the weightlifting uh, theme back at it again, of <laughs> uh, the kid who's not afraid of heights, but he's afraid of weights. The weights were old and greasy, and their poundage pre-metric. The oh, it's MP- time to be real. It's time to be real? Yeah. All right. We love that. Um, let me see if I can be real in addition to reading. All right be read uh oh the way yes the mp was very precise and controlled in his approach to things in a way gately has somehow come to associate with all blonde haired men i don't think i realized that the that the man was blonde hold on i'm being real real quick i probably look terrible yeah great uh here we go. When Gately, at age 10, began to be able to bench press more weight than the MP, the MP had uh, not taken it in a good spirit and began to refusing to spot him on his sets. The MP entered his own weights and repetitions carefully in a little notebook, pausing to do this after each set. He always licked the point of the pencil before he wrote, a habit Gately still finds repellent. In a little different notebook, the MP noted the date and time of each Heineken he consumed. He was the sort of person who equated incredibly careful record keeping with control. In other words, he was by nature a turd counter. Gately had realized this at a very young age and that it was bullshit and maybe crazy. The MP was very possibly crazy. The circumstances of him his leaving the Navy were like shadowy. When Gately involuntarily remembers the MP now, he also remembers and wonders why and feels bad that he never once asked his mother about the MP and why the fuck was he even there and did she actually love him and why did she love him when he flang her down and beat her up on a more or less daily basis for fucking years on end. The intensifying rose colors behind Gately's closed lids are from the hospital room lightning as the light outside the window gets licorice and pre-dawn. Gately lies below the unoccupied heart monitor, snoring so hard the railings on either side of the bed shiver and rattle. <laughs> when the MP was sleeping or out of the house, Don Gately and Mrs. Gately never once talked about him. His memory is clear on this. It wasn't just that they never discussed him or the notebooks or weights or chronometer or his beating up Mrs. Gately. The MP's name was never even mentioned. What, do, what does the MP stand for? It's some kind of military thing. Like He's like an ex-Navy guy. Okay. Um Uh, Military police. Military police. Ooh, God. Well, that explains a lot. Um, If you want it, you can look it up. The MP worked nights a lot, driving a cheese and egg delivery truck for Cheese King Inc. until he was terminated for embezzling wheels of Stilton and fencing them. (laughs) Then, for a time, on a mostly automated canning line, pulling a lever that sent New England chowder. Boo! Wait, no, that's a good one. Manhattan chowder is boo. Sorry, New England chowder is a good one. New England chowder is the only chowder. This has been Chowder Gang. Fuck Manhattan it's chowder.
0: It's brought to you by Chowder Gang.
1: Man, uh, Manhattan chowder doesn't have any doesn't have any dairy in it. You need, it doesn't. Yeah. You need dairy for chowder. Mmm, mm, thick creamy chowder, fish I, soup.
0: That's what I think chowder is. We should make a chowder.
1: Yeah, chowder. Uh, Matt, Matt, remember Matt made a really good pressure cooker chowder yes, that one time. Quarantine was weird, man. You sometimes you would just go over to your friend's backyard and he'd serve you chowder that he made in a pressure cooker. <laughs> normal uh, world normal world uh outside in the cold <laughs>
0: <laughs> outside in the cold
1: oh we were so well behaved yes. um all right where am i uh, doing, uh, pulling a lever that sent New England chowder out of hundreds of spigots into hundreds of lidless cans with an indescribable plopping sound. And the gately home was like a different world when the MP was working or out. It was like the very idea of the MP walked out the door with him, leaving Don and his mother not just behind, but alone together at night, she on the couch and he on the floor, both gradually losing consciousness in front of broadcast TV's final seasons. Gately tries especially hard now not to explore why it never occurred to him to step in and pull the MP off his mother, even after he could bench-press more than the MP. The precise daily beatings had always seemed, in some strangely emphatic way, not his business. He rarely even felt anything, he remembers, watching him hit her. The MP was totally unshy about hitting her in front of Gately. It was like everybody unspokenly agreed the whole thing was none of Bimmy's beeswax. When he was a toddler, he'd flee the room and cry about it, he seems to recall. By a certain age, though, all he'd do was raise the volume on the television, not even bothering to look over at the beating, watching Cheers. Sometimes he'd leave the room and go into the garage and lift weights, but when he left the room, it was never like he was fleeing the room. When he'd been small, he'd sometimes hear the springs and sounds from their bedroom, sometimes in the AM, and worry that the MP was beating her up on their bed. But at a certain point, without anybody taking him aside and explaining anything to him, he realized that the sounds then didn't mean she was getting hurt. The similarity of her hurt sounds in the kitchen and living room and her sex sounds through the asbestos fiberboard bedroom wall troubles Gately, though, when he remembers now, and is one reason why he fends off remembering when awake. Shirtless in the summer, and pale, with a blond man's dislike for the sun, the MP would sit in the little kitchen, at the kitchen table, feet flat on the wood-grain tiling, with a patriotic-themed bandana wrapped around his head, recording Heineken's in his little notebook. A previous tenant had thrown something heavy through the kitchen window once, and the window's screen was fucked up and not quite flush, and houseflies came and went more or less at will. Gately, when small, would be in there in the kitchen with the MP sometimes. The tile was better for his little car's suspensions than bubbly carpet. (laughs) What Gately remembers, in pain, bubbling just under the lid of sleep, is the special and precise way the MP would handle the flies that came into the kitchen. He used no swatter or rolled cone of Harold. He had fast hands, the MP, thick and white and fast. He'd whack them as they lit on the kitchen table, the flies, but in a controlled way, not hard enough to kill them. He was very controlled and intent about it. He'd whack them just hard enough to disable them. Then he'd pick them up real precisely and remove either a wing or, like, a leg, something important to the fly. He'd take the wing or leg over to the beige beige kitchen wastebasket and very deliberately hike the lid with the foot pedal and deposit the tiny wing or leg in the wastebasket, bending at the waist. The memory is unbidden and very clear. The MP'd wash his hands at the kitchen sink using green generic dishwashing liquid. The maimed fly itself he'd ignore and allow to scuttle in crazed circles on the table until it got stuck in a sticky spot or fell off the edge onto the kitchen floor. The conversation with the MP that Gately re-experiences in minutely dreamed detail was the MP at about five Heinekens explaining that maiming a fly was way more effective than killing a fly for flies. A fly was stuck in a sticky spot of dried Heineken and agitating its wing as the MP explained that a well-maimed fly produced tiny little fly screams of pain and fear. Human beings couldn't hear a maimed fly's screams, but you could bet your fat little ruck rat ass other flies could, and the screams of their maimed colleagues helped keep them away. By the time the MP would put his head on his big pale arms and grab a little shut-eye among the Heineken bottles on the sun-heated table— There often be several flies trapped in goo or scuttling in circles on the table, sometimes giving odd little hops, trying to fly with one wing or no wings. Possibly in denial, these flies, as to their, (laughs) like, condition. The ones that fell to the floor, (laughs) Gately would hunch directly over on hands and knees, getting one big red ear down just as close to the fly as possible, listening, his big pink forehead wrinkled. What makes Gately most uncomfortable now as he starts to try to wake up in the lemon light of true hospital morning is that he can't remember putting the maimed flies out of their misery ever, even uh, after the MP passed out. Can't mentally see himself stepping on them or wrapping them in paper towels and flushing flushing them down the toilet or something but he feels like he must have. It seems somehow real vital to be able to remember his doing something more than just hunkering blankly down amid his transformer cars and trying to see if he could hear tiny agonized screams listening very intently, but he can't for the life of him remember doing more than trying to hear, and the sheer cerebral stress of trying to do more than trying to hear, uh, or wait, sorry, the sheer cerebral stress of trying to force a more noble memory should have awakened him on top of the dextral hurt but he doesn't come all the way awake in the big crib until the memory's realistic dream bleeds into a nasty fictional dream where he's wearing Lens's worsted topcoat and leaning very precisely <laughs> and carefully over the prone figure of the Hawaiian-dressed Nuck whose head he's whacked repeatedly against the hood's windshield. He's supporting his inclined weight on his good left hand against the warm, throbbing hood, bent in real close to the maimed head, his ear to the bleeding face, listening very intently. The head opens its red mouth. What time is it?
0: That's 23 minutes. I think we could go a little further. I think we could go a little further.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mostly, I do, yeah. There's... Ooh, how about, how about we finish this section?
0: Oh, yeah. Let's finish this. At, what, two pages? Yeah. Hell yes. Awesome.
1: Yeah, barely. The wet start Gately finally wakes with jars <laughs> his shoulder inside and sends a yellow sheet of pain over him that makes him almost scream into the window's light. For about a year once, at age 20, in Malden, he'd slept most nights in a home-built loft in the dorm of a certain graduate RN nursing program in Malden with a ragingly addicted RN nursing student in the loft which you only needed a five-rung ladder to get up into this loft, and the thing was only a few, a uh, couple of feet under the ceiling, and every a.m. Gately to wake out of some bad dream and sit up with a jolt and thwack his head against the ceiling until after some time there was a per- permanent concavity in the ceiling nice. and a flattish spot in the curve of the top of his forehead he can <laughs> still feel, lying here blinking and holding his head with his good left hand. For a second, blinking and red with AM fever, he thinks he sees ferocious Francis G in the bedside chair, chin freshly shaved and dotted with bits of Kleenex, posture stolid, his old man's saggy little tits rising slowly under a clean white tee, smiling grimly around blue tubes and an unlit cigar between his teeth and saying, Well, kid, at least you're still on this side of the fucking sod. I guess there's something to be said for that there. And are you as yet sober then? The crocodile says coolly, disappearing and then not reappearing after several blinks. The forms and sound in the room is really only three white flaggers Gately's never known or connected with that well, but are apparently here stopping in on their way to work to show (laughs) empathy and support. Bud O and Glenn K and Jack J. Glenn Kay in daytime wears the gray jumpsuit and complex utility belt of a refrigeration technician. <laughs> and who's the fellow in the hat outside? He's asking. Gatelead grunts in a frantic way that suggests the phoneme u. <laughs> it's a u with an umlaut, in case you can tell. <laughs> Talk <laughs> u. <laughs> Tall, well-dressed, grumpy, cocky-looking, piggy-eyed, wearing a hat, civil service-looking, black socks and brown shoes, Glen Kay says, pointing out toward the door where there has been uh, sometimes been the ominous shadow of a hat. Gately's teeth taste long, unbrushed. <laughs> Looking settled in for a stay, surrounded with sports pages and the takeout foods of many cultures, laddie, says Bud O, who the story from before Gately's time goes, once hit his wife so hard in the blackout that made him come in, he broke her nose and bent it over flat against her face, which he asked her never to have repaired as a daily visual reminder of the depths drink sunk him to. So Mrs. O had gone around with her nose bent flat against her left cheek. Bud O tagged her with a left cross. Until UHID referred her to Al-Anon, which eventually nurtured and supported Mrs. O into eventually telling Bud O to take a flying fuck to the moon and getting her nose realigned (laughs) back out front and leaving him for a male Al-Anon in Birkenstock sandals. (laughs) It's like a short story in and of itself. Yes, Gately's bowels have gone watery with dread. He has all too clear memories of a certain remorseless Revere ADA's brown shoes, piggy eyes, Stetson with feather, and penchant for third world takeout. (laughs) Sorry. He keeps grunting pathetically. Unsure how to be supportive, for a while the flaggers try to cheer Gately up by telling him CPR jokes. <laughs> CPR is their term for Al-Anon, which is known to Boston AAs as the Church of Perpetual Revenge. <laughs> What's an Al-Anon relapse? asks Glenn Kay. It is a twinge of compassion, <laughs> says Jack Jay, who has a kind of facial tick. But what is an Al-Anon salute? Jack Jay asks back. The three all pause, and then Jack Jay puts the back of his hand to his brow and flutters his lashes martyrishly at the drop ceiling that they, they all three of them laugh. They have no clue that if Gately actually laughs, he'll tear his shoulders sutures. one side of jack jay's face goes in and out of a tortured grimace that doesn't affect the other side of his face one bit, something that's always given Gately the phantods uh, there's a word for that it's um, I wrote a short story about someone. Dysplasia or something? It's like when you're fa- like un- te- uncontrollable facial motions. Ticks? Yeah, but there's a more official uh, medical word for okay. it. Okay. Um, where are we?
0: Face dysphagia.
1: Yeah. Bud O is waggling his finger disapprovingly at Glenn Kay uh, to signify an Al Anon handshake. <laughs> Glenn Kay gives a lengthy impression of an Al-Anon mom watching her alcoholic kid marching in some parade and getting more and more outraged at how everybody's out of step except her kid. (laughs) Gately closes his eyes and moves his chest up and down a few times in a dumb show of polite laughter so they'll think they've cheered him up and screw the little thoracic movements make his dextral regions make him want to bite the side of his hand in pain. It's like a big wooden spoon keeps pushing him just under the surface of sleep and then spooning him up for something huge to taste him again and again. <laughs> He's been chowderized.
0: He has been chowderized.
1: That's uh, we can call it, I guess that's, for the day.
0: That's the end of the section? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. The Wraith thing really comes and goes, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, just like a the nature of the wraith. Just like a wide winged wraith. Um.
0: Alright, so uh (laughs) Yeah, yes. Uh Incendenza made the entertainment to try to To try to get to his son Hal out of his shell. Yes. Um Don did not put the flies out of their misery.
1: Those are those are the main. Yeah,
0: those are the things I took away from this segment.
1: It's would a, you put
0: the flies out of their misery, or would you listen to their screams?
1: I think I. I've, it's a very evocative statement, right? That they have yep. little fly screams. I would yep. listen, and then I would put them out of their misery. But we're also it's picking up on something I think important about childhood. By the way, Don Gately is literally in a fucking crib right now. Yeah. So we're we're going baby. We're going we're full. Going, baby mode. Full sand baby mode. Is that like you don't you don't know why the world is the way it is. And all sure. you have is like your parents to set an example. Yeah. So like your parents are God, basically. So if you have a parent who's not a not telling you not to torture flies and b torturing the flies. Yeah. Of course, you're not going to have any question about whether something is right or wrong. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, the the whole thing about him, like leaving the room when the beatings happen, but it wasn't like he was fleeing. It was just like, yeah. I feel like that's a very evocative, like kid thing of being like, "Well, this is just the way things are." Things
1: are because if you actually ask why, I do, yeah.
0: When things are the way that they are, Mm -hmm.
1: which you know, when he's a toddler, he is like more upset, like he's like running and screaming, yeah. And then by the time he's old enough to like. Get kind of indoctrinated into this world of unbelievable violence. Yes, uh, daily violence is that he's he starts drinking. Yes, like his mom. Like his mom, it's terrible. Yes, we uh, yeah we we've, we've been talking about you know, and then of course you've got uh, Joi talking about his father who's a drunk. Who mm-hmm. We remember the only the only times we see him are when he wants to teach Joi how to play tennis and he gets super drunk and talks about busting oh his knee. I, I forgot about that scene And like, then the other scene where they're the, like moving re- a mattress and he pukes all over <laughs> I remember the mattress, I remember the, the mattress.
0: I remember the uh the knee thing obviously is like one of the most indelible images of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh but I forgot that that was in the context of his of his dad trying to teach him Yeah. to play tennis and giving
1: him his first drink. Yes. Which of course then passes that on yeah there is here here's what i'll say the alcohol before trying alcohol before you are really aware what it is Mm -hmm. is a crazy feeling yes right like i don't know i I, one of the main takeaways that i have gotten from doing this podcast is reevaluating my relationship to alcohol (laughs) but i'm remembering the first time i took a i stole a sip of whiskey from the uh cabinet that uh we inherited we inherited a liquor cabinet from the people whose house we bought when i was (laughs) when i was 12 years old uh because and my parents don't really drink it was it was like shambord and all this like weird (laughs) dusty garbage Frangelico. yeah Frangelico and shit like that weird schnapps like cinnamon schnapps the liquors that my
0: i remember just always being around my house were always so funny yeah we we had like a Frangelico bottle and a bottle of Absolute from like
1: 1984. Yeah, it's that's so um, that's so 90s. Yeah, who? What, no, n- yeah, literally, no offense to Frangelico, but like, who is having? Who is drinking a nice hazelnut <laughs> I
0: liqueur? Don't, I don't know. That, I mean, it must have been.
1: I don't know a single drink that calls for
0: Frangelico, and I know my drinks. Well, it must be like it must be like your. DiSorono pool, where there was like yeah. two months in like 1985, where yeah. where Frangelico was like, you know, it's the hip drink that every that every groovy cat is is yeah. sipping on. It's yeah. Frangelico.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like it's it's fancy, and also Italians like like um, their little sweet. Uh, Damn, should we get some Frangelico? I've not even seen it in a place. Isn't it in that. a, like, monk-shaped bottle? Yeah, it even because has, like, a little... Fran- it's the frangels. It,
0: uh, it even has a little uh, rope around its yes. waist as its, like, belt. Fuck it.
1: Let's get some frangelico, and I'll... I mean, here's the thing. Frangelico espresso martini would be kind of fucking good, right? Ooh. Part, half, mm. half Kahlua, half frangelico, so you get that hazelnut taste. Ooh, mommy. That's an umami for me. All right, well, anyway, what I was saying before <laughs> was that drink drinking is... <laughs> Team drinking is very bad. It's uh, difficult. No, just the f- the feeling of swallowing liquor specifically, yeah. and uh, what it like does to your body.
0: Do you remember your first sip of beer?
1: Yeah, I was at a party. I was uh, like, "This is fine." I was at a party. I was never I was, like, given. I was never given beer as a child, as like a bit. Uh, I I know. I'm aware that that's some things that parents do, party. where it's like, "I'll let you have a sip," and they're like, "Ew." I was at never gonna have this again.
0: a party in college and I just remember having it from a keg and being like, this tastes like bread, <laughs> liquid bread.
1: Yeah. No, I had, I had it at a, at a party and I, it was honestly the, the party was uh, more intoxicating than the beer. Yes. Just the idea of being at a party. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I was invited to a party. I'm at, I can't
0: believe. And look at The me. boy I have who, a crush on is here. Maybe we a, will smooch. Uh, who could imagine me at a party? Me at a party.
1: Look at look at us. Uh,
0: so what do you make about? So what what do you make of this whole Don in in hospital segment?
1: Well, it's funny. It's like it mirrors we've been, we've been every doing, other what, three
0: four weeks of this now.
1: Yeah, which I mean, we haven't seen him in in months of, of our time. Yeah. Talk talk about wraith time. We haven't we haven't uh, we've been spending wraith time uh between seeing Don's. Uh,
0: we had his visitors are the woman the. The main woman from Joel Van Oh Bandy. yeah. So that was like oh, way and, uh, previous. The woman who runs the the in an house. Yes, correct. Uh Mont- the,
1: Pat Montesian.
0: Pat Montesian. The the T- guy who told the story from his childhood.
1: Uh tiny Ewell. Tiny Yule. Uh Jeffrey Day. Jeffrey Day. Jeffrey
0: Day. Jeffrey Day. Uh I'm like,
1: John, we 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 really miss you, Don. <laughs> Although uh, the cooking in the house has uh, fa- fallen off far. Who would have thought?
0: <laughs> is there anybody else and then the Wraith?
1: The Wraith and... And then the, the, the White Flag guys. The White Flag guys break my heart. Because it's, it's funny that, like... It's funny that they bring the Al-Anon thing into it, too. That's obviously the organization where you go, someone that you love has mm-hmm. a problem with alcohol or addiction. Um, and that they're like, oh, these, these people are, like, victims. <laughs> Which I, I, like, understand, like, it's that feels like a very like baked in uh that feels like a white flagger thing, not a younger like that's a generational thing, yeah. right? Um the the uh the white flag or the al on salute is like someone who's like swooning basically. <laughs> oh poor me.
0: Poor me, poor me, poor me a drink.
1: Poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. Uh but it breaks it breaks my heart that uh don is experiencing what it's almost like to like be dead right yes. is that everyone's like coming to him like you you see who like your real ones are yeah right? it
0: really is um i'm yeah, not a coward like i've a just way. never been tested <laughs> i like I'm think just think that, i would if i, like I, was, to I would think pass. that
1: if i was i pass, i was thinking about that lately because i've you know you know what's crazy is like i've never never had to be uh at a hospital bed for yeah. someone in my entire life oh, you know I how lucky you. that makes me it makes I, me like in the top one percent of lucky people.
0: I had to uh, sneak my uh, dying grandfather um, Kentucky Fried Chicken from outside. They would not let him have it. And He was like to me and my stepdad. He was like, "Oh my God!" The one thing, hey, here's the thing. They won't let me have real food. Will you go give your mother's something? father. Yeah, my mother's father, my mother's stepfather, who is my grandfather. Oh my right, yes. Life. God, I you've mean, got
1: some interesting family stuff. I know. <laughs> Uh, but he was always my grandfather. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim
0: Sawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would you
1: Would you get him three piece? Just a, bu- just a bucket, no bucket. sides.
0: I don't think we got sides. I think that would have been too complicated in the hospital bed.
1: Yeah. Did you get caught and like? No, hated? I mean he
0: was like, you know, he was he was he was on his way out, so I don't think that they were really uh <laughs> really too upset about it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that.
1: Damn. Yeah. No, it's a. I, I just read a, a memoir called uh, Jello Girls that features in the second or the last third of it, basically just like a, a woman's mother dying of cancer, and it takes like years and years. Oh and yeah, years. yeah, you told me about that. And just like that the,
0: not like that sounds like not a fun novel. Uh,
1: it was not. It was a memoir. Not. Ple- it was simply not a pleasant read. But I was like. <laughs> She she just came out with a like actual fiction book so I'm like I need to get the background before I read this anyway I just like I don't know fiction books I love fiction I love books. fiction books I do love fiction books oh, look at these hotties at the tennis uh, um, <laughs> at the
0: tennis is inn. there anything more that we want to say about this segment I mean I so I understand now the supposition that the gentleman who DM me about was saying was mm-hmm. now that we've gotten to the wraith segment yes the implication is that the entire book now that you've been introduced to a Character who has uh, omniscience and can see and hear everybody's thoughts. Yes, that the supposition is that that is the true narrator. The
1: all the all seeing, all knowing, and because the narrator is really in the end notes, right? Yes, that's like they see every conversation, they see everyone's like weakness and uh, mm-hmm. family history and all that stuff. Like, yes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense to me of like what you know, especially the not the knowledge segments is like basically film. Uh, tennis, Pharma- drugs, Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I will.
0: I mean, I thank you, listener, for for engaging me with the about this book. I I appreciate it, but you know, I'm a little. I don't want to say peeved, but it's like I, you know, I now that that idea is in my head that the ghost is the the narrator. Uh, it'll be hard to shake it, and I, uh, you know, I I. I would be interested to see if I came to that conclusion. Yeah, on, my on your own. Uh, but we'll see. It's it's you know things are being knit together. Synapses are being hit. Uh, yes. neurons are finding each other yeah. in the pathway. So well,
1: the, the last thing I'll say about the dawn and wraith uh, thing is that it mirrors every other like situation where people are like talking past each other, like yes. misunderstandings and miscommunications. Mm-hmm. How thinking he's going to. Alcoholics Anonymous, and he goes to like an inner child, <laughs> yes. teddy bear uh, fest. Uh, Don being like this guy, this guy's just uh, in denial and uh, full of self pity. This guy's just a loser uh, addict who never figured out how to come in. And the race is being like, "I I'm have telling some, you, the I have the some universe. important information for you <laughs> because I, you, I have chosen you. You are the one who can listen. You are my, you are my only hope, basically." <laughs> Help me, help, help me, me Don, Don Gailey, You're
0: my only hope.
1: Yeah, which I mean, not. I don't think it's like it was literally in the first fucking episode we did. Uh, the first scene where Hal, um, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this back. I'm uh, no, I've like,
0: I've been thinking about this the entire time we're doing this. He refer- the, the Hal references have, we're Don digging Gailey up digging up his father's, his father's head. Yes, that's that is like the. So uh, why
1: do you think they need to do that? We're they are we're all looking for the same thing.
0: Alas, poor Yorick.
1: Alas, poor yeah skull. Skull. Again, drilling something into your skull. Fuck. Uh,
0: I. Uh, we'll this see. is why.
1: This is why I can't. I get mad at people that are like, "This book is like too long and intimidating. I'm like, "It all goes together.
0: It all comes. Back.
1: Everything. It's annular as fuck, bro.
0: It's all coming back to
1: me now. It's all. It, everything is cir- circular, just like life. Yes. We just found out the the first picture oh, someone God. ever took of us in 2015 as a, as a couple. As a couple. Uh. Uh, had not realized that she worked at the Village Voice uh, as a photographer. As a, as a photographer. And then without fucking knowing that. She shot a picture of that. us uh,
0: at the opening of AlphaVille smooching uh, on like our what, like fourth date maybe? Yeah. Uh, and that photo was later published in the Village Voice. Uh, and then we did not know her. We did not know who took the photo. And five years later, uh, through a, a bizarre through series of circumstances.
1: And And then I, inter- I interviewed her for a project that I did she
0: uh, photographed our wedding
1: wedding yeah we're really weird really? that's where like you know when um when like the uh air traffic control crash in this book that like lateral alice moore makes her lateral uh and yeah. then also kills um marlon bain's parents or yeah. whatever everything comes like if you live long enough everything comes back around so you better be ready bitch yes that's basically how i feel at this point um Including th- bad things that you did when you were younger that you have to reconcile with when you're older. Uh, yes, it's... You should have put the flies out of their misery. Sorry, Don, you got to think about it. <laughs> All
0: right, with the last few minutes of this, can I give you, my, give you guys my new pitch for a David Foster Wallace TV show?
1: Uh, please pitch me. I am sitting at a um, long glass uh, conference room table drinking an oat milk
0: Latte. i think that this would be for netflix okay uh which i know puts a lot of trash out but they sometimes like to put some prestige stuff you know like noah Bombach white noise stuff uh so I th- here's my pitch for a dfw series it's a- called a supposedly fun thing i'll never do again i love it and it is an anthology series and each episode is like an hour-long adaptation of not the books but one of the essays essays so, you know, one of them is a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. And it's like him on the cruise, on the cruise ship going you like mad cast. You, I think you would cast some kind of nobody as David Foster Wallace.
1: Yeah. Up and coming. Yeah.
0: Like a TV star guy, because the thing is, is that DFW is really, a, you know, he'd be the cipher in all these. You basically need somebody to hang around and look anxious. You do one that's kind
1: of like the Ben Sinclair role in. Oh, yeah, Ben Sinclair. uh, Honestly,
0: um, Ben Sinclair would be kind of a a good one if he shaved the beard.
1: What is it called? Uh, the show high, high maintenance. maintenance. Yeah. Yes. You are you are the deliver you were you are you the are delivery service. Delivery ser- you are a figurant in other people's lives. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you do a supposedly fun thing, you do Big Red Sun at the Avian Awards, just yeah. him being a sweaty nerd sitting in the corner with all these like nineties style porn stars.
1: Which oh my god, it would be crazy to cast um real adult actresses to yes. play nineties adult yeah, actresses. With
0: the big, like feathered hair and everything
1: They have to fix Uh, the tattoo situation (laughs) (laughs) they have to spackle them over and get a different style of tattoo uh yeah all barbed wire like (laughs) ringer tattoos and stuff like that yeah uh
0: you do uh up simba the fucking uh john mccain one get someone
1: good to play john mccain you
0: do the i the illinois state
1: fair one you know it would be a kind of a cool sort of elegiac is that how you pronounce that word please don't elegaic elegaic uh, one of the essays he wrote was um, living in Illinois when 9/11 happened, and uh, he was basically like, "How the fuck do all of my neighbors have flags in their front yards all of a sudden?" <laughs> and he, and he literally goes flag shopping, and he can't find any flags, so he draws one himself with magic marker, <laughs> and it's just kind of like this like weird, quiet moment of like being in a small town, you know, the day, the days after yes. uh, terrorism on your own. Uh,
0: sure. And then, so I think. I think you could get two seasons. If I'm remembering how many... You- obviously, this would be an adaptation of both the books, Consider the Lobster and uh, uh, a supposedly fun thing. Yeah. I think you could get two seasons, because I think there are like at least 10 essays where he goes somewhere and does something. Yeah, And then reports. I think each one was six episodes, and then the sixth one is an adaptation of one of the ones where he's just thinking about something. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the on-usage yep. thing, or... um. What what are some of the other ones where he? Oh, what are the, where he's just like thinking about something?
1: Oh, like gr- grammar, the grammar or, one? um yeah. Oh, uh, entertainment, e, e unibus plurum, or whatever. yes, 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 yeah. Um,
0: and it could be more abstract. Obviously, I haven't thought about how you would manifest the abstract one, but mm-hmm. uh, I I am the executive producer of the series. Some uh, some enterprising director yes. will uh, figure it out for me. Uh, anyway, that's my pitch. Uh, for I think how you uh, adapt DFW for screen. I think it'll be great. I think there's a lot of opportunity for comedy. I think there's a lot of opportunity for thoughtfulness. I think it, a lot of opportunity for, uh, you know, a, as you just said, elegaic filmmaking that's just... Yeah. Montages of, of observations.
1: Yeah. From uh, from the recent past.
0: Yes. And a great which we title. still have not a... Uh, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Mm-hmm. We love we love this supposedly fun thing. The funny thing is, have we talked about this on the on the uh, pod? I think both of us agreed that we read that essay uh, <laughs> about like the cosmic existential horror of being on a cruise ship, and both uh, finished like the last word of it. And we're like. I kind of want to go on a cruise.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I do have a very uh, more and more my reactions to reading things. I'm like R.I.P. to you, but I'm different. I'm like I would simply have a fun time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or like uh, I mean, hell, I recently reread um, a picture of Dorian Gray, and I was like, the opium den sounds fun. Not yeah. sure why everyone is. Uh, I would just such not ar- look at my portrait. I would I would just uh, simply get high and be a normal person. Yeah. Anyway. Um lots of
0: uh Should we st- should we finish watching Titanic?
1: Yeah, let's finish watching Titanic. The, right. the answer for how to keep Amali awake after we have uh come home from going out is to put on Titanic. Titanic. Any oh, other movie, so I sleep. It's so <laughs> Titanic, I wake. Titanic?
0: It's you you put you throw it on. And you forget how long it takes
1: before they actually get to the boat. Like it's
0: like ha- 35 like, minutes. Yeah, half an hour. Before, they're, before it gets to the pass. Yeah. It's wild. It, it's
1: just like little robots flowing, flowing through a but, sunk ship.
0: I mean, I, again, I, I'm like, I hope I'm not too like Cameron-pilled that I'm just making excuses for him. But I do think that that stuff in the end helps because it really puts you in the mindset of this happened. Happened.
1: And yeah, it's, re-
0: it's real. It's not just some abstract thing from the past. Yeah, It's like... You have to see
1: the way people now interact yeah. with it.
0: You can go to the bottom of the ocean and see the boat where all these people died.
1: Yeah. Is that Anne Hathaway? God, she's gorgeous. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the ten- there are a lot of celebs
0: and famous. Yeah, yeah. Still, I brought it up many times on this pod. One of the funniest things in the entire tennis world is that on the New York Open uh court, Arthur Ashe Stadium. The Arthur Ashe Stadium... No symbols, no flags, no uh, like, you know, marker or anything. They just have Helvetica font numbers that say nine eleven oh one. Just on like with every wide shot that's, that that is like a minimalist
1: like... minimalist <laughs> memorial.
0: Yeah, it's just it is, there. It's not it's there. even halfway through. And what is like, it?
1: And it's quite big. Yes, that's what's confusing. I don't it's, know. That's so stupid. Well, anyway. we'll not we'll we'll never forget as long never as we forget. see that shit
0: uh never forget all right uh talk to you guys the next week yeah bye